We may have some college students in this service, going back to two services. A lot of the college students go to the 930 service. You're a college student here. And then, and then youth and uh, you elementary age kids, this is your final week to be called a student and not go to class. Kind of a bummer, isn't it? Because Monday, you got to go to class if you're going to continue to have that label student. If you decide not to go to class, I doubt you'll be called a student for very long. They use other terms like delinquent and things you don't want to be called. Yeah? And the rest of us who have jobs and, and go to work every week, you're an employee or you have a job somewhere, well, guess what? If you don't go to that job Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning, you will be unemployed. And uh, it's really important that these labels that we take on ourselves reflect who we are and what we do. If, if what you say about you is not reflected in what you do, then what you say about you is not really you, right? First Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read this together, just verse by verse, work through this passage. This is in the section of 1 Thessalonians where Paul is encouraging the church at Thessalonica to wait faithfully on the return of Christ, particularly in the area of their sanctification, which means that they are more and more each and every day reflecting what it means to wait on Christ's return eliminating all threats in their life to their relationship with Christ, eliminating all threats in their life to their proclamation of Jesus Christ. More and more every day looking a little bit more like Christ because they're waiting on Christ to return. So here we are in another passage that is encouraging us to wait well as we wait for Jesus Christ to return. Let's look at verse 1 together. Concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you do not have need for anything to be written to you. Now, this is the second time that Paul in Thessalonians has said, I don't need to write this to you, and then he writes it to them. Any of you remember your parents saying anything like this? You don't need me to tell you to clean your room again. You don't need me to tell you Be nice to your little brother or little sister. Implication being, you don't need the information. You need to take the information that you have and act on it. And that's what Paul is really encouraging here. He's saying, you don't need to know more about what I'm fixing to write you about. Look at verse 2. He says, says, for you know certainly about or very well about the day of the Lord that it is coming like a thief in the night. So in regard to the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night, the Thessalonians did not need Paul to give them that information again. But Paul gave that information again because he wants their lives to reflect what they know. Because there is a vast difference between knowing and knowing and doing. And Paul is communicating that if you're going to wait faithfully for Jesus Christ and you know and you believe He's going to return, then something's going to show up in your life. And He's going to unfold that here for us. 
It's going to be specifically in relation to the day of the Lord. And we're going to be digging into this concept of the day of the Lord and a whole lot of other things dealing with the day of the Lord as we jump into Revelation starting September 21st. So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here. And the main reason is because all you need to know about the day of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians is there's a day coming when Jesus Christ is going to return. And when Jesus Christ returns, He is going to give out wrath and judgment on those who do not believe in Him. And He is going to take those who believe in Him home to heaven, to a new earth forever to have eternal life. The day of the Lord is coming. And Paul says here it would be like a thief in the night. Now, until I had an experience of a thief in the night, I didn't really completely understand this concept. But back in the fall of 1998, as some of you have heard me talk about before, I was robbed at gunpoint in the night by two men who were wearing full masks and black everything. And they're coming up and they robbed me. And I'm just going to tell you, from that point forward... Every time I read, the day of the Lord will be like a thief in the night, the day of the Lord no longer sounds fun to me. Because that was a horrifying experience. And I read this differently now. I don't wish that kind of experience on anybody. And yet he says right here that the day of the Lord will be like a thief in the night. Look what else he says in verse 3. When they are saying peace and security talking about those who are not living in respect to the day of the Lord. We don't believe in Jesus. We don't care about this. We don't believe there's a God who's going to call us to account. Everything's fine. Everything's good. Nothing really matters. I'm a God unto myself. I'm determining what's right and good for my own life. I'm not living in respect at all to the fact that Jesus Christ is going to be returning. Peace and security. For those who are saying peace and security, then... Destruction or death comes upon them suddenly just as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and there will be no escape. At this point, I'm sure some of you ladies could do a much better job describing the illustration here at hand. But the point is, labor pains for a pregnant woman are inevitable and inescapable. So it is with the day of the Lord particularly for those who give no reference to the reality that Jesus is coming back. And the destruction that will sweep them up will be inescapable. So far, the day of the Lord does not sound too fun. I'm glad we have more to read. Verse 4. But you, brothers, you are not in darkness so that the day of the Lord should overtake you like a thief. For all of you are sons of light. You are sons of day. We are not of the night. We are not of darkness. I love that God's telling us that the day of the Lord will not be like a thief in the night. For those who believe in Jesus Christ. I am so encouraged by that. I don't want the day of the Lord to be like a thief in the night for me or anyone else. And the message here is that the day of the Lord will not be like the thief in the night for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice why. It's because we are of the day 
not of the night. What's being illustrated here is that if we were of the night, we would be living our lives in such a way that our morality would reveal, the way we live our lives would reveal we have no concern for a return of a judge named Jesus Christ. But because we are of the day, we have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, then we live differently because we do know that Jesus Christ is going to return. What we know is translated into what we do. That is what it means when we are of the day. Because we are of the day, not of the night. The day of the Lord will not be like a thief in the night. It's it's not going to be this surprise of destruction at all. And what I love about that is it means that that if we want to know about when Christ is going to return, I mean, the disciples asked many times, and I'm sure that many of us have had that question rolling around our head, when is Christ going to return? And we have people all around us through the years who have said things about when Christ is going to return, trying to forecast when it's going to happen. There's this major concern over when is the day of the Lord going to happen? Well, Jesus Christ, every time he's asked this question, gives the same kind of response. You're asking the wrong question. The the question you should be asking is not when is it going to happen because you're not going to know when. The question is what do you need to do to be ready when it happens? Jesus was saying to his disciples when they asked, you don't need to know when if you follow me You will always be ready. You're of the day, not of the night. That this day should overtake you like a thief in the night. Think about it like this. If you're driving home one night late from work, and uh, you drive into your driveway, and you see all the lights in your house are are out, and you're kind of wondering, where is everybody? And you walk in the house, and you flip on a light switch, and nothing happens. No lights come on. You realize the electricity's out. This is really strange. Nobody's here. What's going on? And then all of a sudden, out of the darkness comes ar- come to arm assailants, and they rob you. Now, that is going to be a shocking surprise, right? What about this scenario? You're driving home, coming home late from, night, from, from work one night. You get to your house. You notice all the lights are off. You're thinking, what's going on here? You get out of your car. You go in the front door. You try to flip on a light switch. The electricity's not working. You're wondering, what is going on? You're getting a little bit nervous, and then all of a sudden, out of the corners, out of the dark places, out of the hallway, come all of your finest friends yelling, surprise! It's no less of a surprise, but the experience is totally different. You see, when you live as children of the light... When you live waiting for the return of Christ, when you follow the commands we're going to walk through here in a moment, then the day of the Lord will not be like the thief in the night kind of surprise. It will be like the ultimate surprise party kind of surprise. Now, I recognize that some of you right now are thinking, I hate surprise parties. I mean, there's some personality types in here that you've told your spouse, if you ever throw me a surprise party, it'll be the last thing you ever do. I mean, and some of you have told your spouse that, You could do a surprise party every month, and I'd be happy with that. You know, you're really jazzed up about surprise parties. So you got a whole spectrum of people here that are hearing this concept of surprise party differently. What you've got to hear from is not from what you would prefer in regard to your personality. You've got to hear hear your two choices. Thief in the night, surprise party. 
surprise party. You know, I mean, we all want that, right? Because we all would prefer that and we want that. Paul's giving us some commands here that really help us be ready for the turn of Christ. Let's look at verse 6. Therefore, do not sleep as the rest, but, but wake up. Be sober. For those who sleep, they're sleeping at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. We have two pictures here created to encourage us in responding to the knowledge that Jesus Christ will return. The pictures are contrasts. You have one contrast, which is being awake and being asleep. And you have another contrast, which is being sober and being drunk. And when it comes to sleeping, I have a real problem in my life when I'm driving late at night. I tend to want to fall asleep if I'm driving at night. I don't know if anybody else is like that, but I have a real issue with that. One time when we were driving home uh, to see my family in Amarillo, uh, I was driving late at night. Lindley and the kids are asleep, and, and man, I'm doing everything I can to stay awake. I'm slapping my face. I'm putting water on my face. I'm eating M&Ms, eating cereal, drinking caffeine, rolling down the window, rolling up the window. Anybody else do stuff like that? I mean, I'm doing everything I can to stay awake, and I am struggling. Next thing I know, I see state trooper lights in my rearview mirror, and I'm like, oh, man, what was I doing? I was so out of it. There's no telling, you know. And so I pull over, and he comes up, and the first thing out of his mouth, he says, you been drinking tonight, sir? I'm like, no, why? He goes, well, you were slowing down, speeding up, swerving all over the lane. I was like, man, I am so sorry. I'm so sleepy. I'm fixing to be home. He goes, well, you need to be careful, you know. And so, I mean, I have this issue, and Lindley is a real encouragement there because every time we get in the car, the first thing she does is go to sleep. <laughs> it's tough. And so I try to avoid uh, driving at night, but when I have to do it, you know what I have to do? Anything and everything to stay awake. And, and that's what Paul's encouraging us to do. In light of Jesus Christ's return, he's going to come back. You live in this world, and you need to stay awake. You need to stay awake. Now, I've been preaching here for quite some time and watching a lot of you week in and week out. I've learned a little something about your sleep habits. Some of you, when you start to get a little drowsy, some of you this morning, when you get a little drowsy and you're sitting there, you have that blink your eyes a little bit longer than normal, then you open them back up and you try to wake yourself up and then you blink them a little bit longer and you just kind of shut your eyelids and you think I don't see you. But I do, and after I'm done preaching on Sunday mornings, I go take notes and I keep a file on all of you. Some of you, you when, when you're getting drowsy, what you do is you, you have discovered how to balance your head on your neck really good. And so you'll sit there and you'll kind of close your eyes and you'll be looking normal and you'll be thinking, I'm so tired. Lord, I'm just going to pray a little bit. Lord, I hope Pastor Kevin thinks I'm praying right now. You know, and then the next thing you know, you're kind of Going over to the side and you'll wake yourself up because your head doesn't move. You've balanced it on your neck really well, but you start to fade off. Some of you kind of have that head nod thing. You're sitting there, you think you're good, and then all of a sudden your eyes close for, I mean, a millisecond. And the next thing you know is, bam, you just got whiplash, you know. I know some of you, you're out there going, praise the Lord, it was just me, you know. I'm just looking up to the heavens, you know, whatever. I mean, some of you do stuff like that. 
Some of you, this is the best one, some of you make inadvertent noises when you start to fade off. So you'll fade off and you'll be like, you know, and you'll wake yourself up and the first thing you'll do is look to the right and left and think, did anybody hear that or was that all in my head? And you don't have a clue because you were out, you know. You guys have these tendencies and so I want to encourage you spiritually, stay awake. All right, now, now, so if you in your life, you haven't been reading your Bible. It's been three, four, five, six days. Maybe you've only read your Bible once or twice in the last two weeks. You, you may actually think you're paying attention, but what's happening is your eyes are shutting and staying shut a little bit longer than normal. You're starting to fade. Maybe you haven't spent any time on your knees lately, praying and seeking the Lord and crying out to the Lord for the things that are happening in the world, for the things that are happening in your life, for the people in your life. You're just not spending any time laboring in prayer. Guess what? You're nodding off. You've got to fight to stay awake. If you've not spent time in the last two weeks confessing your sins, if, if that's just not been on your radar, you've just not thought about confessing any sins in your life, let me just encourage you here. You're behind the curve here. You've had some sins in the last couple of weeks that really need to be confessed. And if you're not confessing sin regularly, you're snoring and you don't know it. If you're not engaged in some, some smaller groups of believers and, and gathered around the truth of God and have conversations about walking with Christ in a more intimate level, you're, you're falling asleep. There's a good chance you're more sleepy than you think you are. And you better do everything you can to stay awake so that you are waiting on the return of Jesus Christ. Stay awake. Do whatever it takes. You can't afford to fall asleep. That other picture of sobriety and drunkenness. I decided not to give personal testimony on that one, so I just want to give some explanation about what it means. That was supposed to be funny, but it wasn't. <laughs> so sobriety and drunkenness, that really has to do a lot with self-control. I'm sure all of us have witnessed other drunk people along the way, and we know that drunk people have a hard time controlling what they say, what they do, controlling their bladder, a whole host of other things. Sober people have the ability to be self-controlled in areas and ways that drunk people do not. And you think about that in the spiritual realm. What Paul is encouraging us to do, what the Lord is saying to us, is make sure that there is not any area of your life that you are not able, willing, and actively submitting to the control of the Holy Spirit. See, drunkenness is one of those areas of Scripture, um, one of the areas that Scripture points out that threaten our ability to be under the complete control of the Holy Spirit. It's not necessarily that alcohol is evil. It's that ingesting alcohol leads to a place of not being able to be fully 100% under the control of the Spirit. And the best thing you can do in waiting for Jesus Christ is to submit every area of your life to the control of the Holy Spirit. So eliminate the threats to the Spirit's control. Now, alcohol is not the only one. There's a host of, uh, of other threats to the Spirit's control in all of our lives. And if you want to know where your struggle is, where you need to 
allow the Spirit of God to put focus on in your life, then ask the Lord this question. Lord, would you please help me recognize any areas of my life where I am exhibiting a lack of self-control? Because any area in your life where you're exhibiting a pattern of a lack of self-control is an area that is threatening your ability to be under the Spirit's control. And that means you need to confess some sin, you need to bring some other people along beside you and say, I'm struggling here, I need the Spirit of God to be in control in this area of my life. You need to focus in on that area because that's an area you are being lulled to sleep. That's an area where you are not being sober. That's an area where you are not ready for Christ to return. And we need to be a people who are ready. Look at verse 8 continues our commands here, but we being of the day, since we are of the day, let us be sober. We must be sober. There it is again, and here's how this sobriety looks. Being clothed with the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. So if somebody sees you walking down the street and they're seeing you in your business life, they're seeing you in your school life, they're watching you, what they need to see, what needs to be most readily visible in your life, faith, love, and hope. To be ready for Jesus Christ is what needs to be put on your life in such a way that people can see these things more than anything else in your life. Faith, love, and hope. So, So think about faith for a second. You want to be clothed in faith? Then, then work really hard on erring on the side of trusting Jesus Christ too much. Just trust Him with everything. When you encounter something you didn't know, didn't expect, you don't like, you don't appreciate, things not going your way, when you encounter things that are challenges, things that are difficult, things that make life very hard, what does your life look like? What do your emotions look like? What do your reactions look like? How do you treat people? What does that look like? Do you look like somebody who says, I don't care what's happening. I don't care how unexpected this is. I don't care how difficult this is. I will trust Jesus. He's trustworthy. It doesn't matter how little I knew about this. It doesn't matter how big this seems to be. It doesn't matter how overwhelming this might feel. I trust Jesus no matter what. Clothe yourself in faith and err on the side of trusting God too much. You cannot out-trust Him. You will never be disappointed by trusting Him no matter what. Some, some of you need to make those kinds of decisions today. I will trust Jesus right where I'm at, even though it's really hard. I'll trust Him. Clothe yourselves with love. If we want to be ready for Jesus, the best way to get ready for Jesus to return is just love people like Jesus loves us. Loving people without an expectation of return. Loving people even when they don't love us. Loving people even when they hurt us. Love. Hope. Hope should drive everything you do. There is nothing you will encounter in this life that can even come close to erasing the hope of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Make sure that your life is moved and motivated by hope. This is a big task. We're called to do a lot of things here. Wake up, be sober, put on faith, love, and hope. You better work hard. You better stay awake. You better not act like this. You better be ready. Jesus is coming. It's going to be like a, day, a thief in the night, but you don't need it to be that way because you can be ready for him, but you've got to be ready. 
That's big. How can I do that? Look, look what verse 9 says. You need to do all these things because God has appointed you not to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will be together with Him. Do you know how you can wait for Jesus Christ? As a follower of Jesus Christ, who's commanded to give everything you are, to wake up and be sober and wait on Christ faithfully, you have been called to do this, can do this, only because of the grace of God. It's the grace and mercy of God that He has poured out on us already, evidenced in the death of Jesus Christ for us, so that we might live with Him forever, that we can now wait for Him to return. The moment you decide to follow Jesus Christ is the moment that you know that God has appointed you for eternal life, not for wrath, and that He has a plan for you to make it. This whole passage about sanctification, chapter 4, verse 1, all the way through the end of 1 Thessalonians here, you know how it ends? Okay, chapter 1, be sanctified, you got to do this. Be sanctified, you got to do this. Chapter 5, be sanctified, you got to do this. You know how it ends? Chapter 5, verse 23. The Lord is faithful. He will do it. You can make it. Because of the mercy and the grace of God displayed for us in the death of Christ so that we might live together with Him. Stay awake. You can do it. There's one other implication here in this passage I don't want us to miss today. We're striving to stay awake. We're working hard to follow Christ until He returns. And all the while, the world around us is asleep. And we're the only ones with the message that'll wake them up. I'm just praying that this fall, as we talk about so many things through the remainder of 1 Thessalonians and Revelation, we would be a church who knows and does. See, the truth is, I don't really need to tell most of us in here that the world around us is asleep and we're the only ones with the message to wake them up because we know it. But there's a big difference between knowing and knowing and doing. And waiting for Jesus Christ looks like knowing and doing. No other way to wait. And there's no better way to live. Look at verse 11. He says, therefore, encourage each other and build one on one. That's the literal translation. Build each other up just as you are doing. When I'm driving late at night and uh, headed down the highway, really any time, day or night, Lindley gets in the car. She, like I said, she's going to fall asleep. Well, it's not uncharacteristic of her to say to me, are you awake? Are you good? Before she goes to sleep, she wants to make sure she's not going to die, you know? You good? And she'll say something like, you need to make sure you stay awake. 
And then I'm driving along, and inevitably, I'll hit the rumble strip at some point. She's sound asleep. I hit the rumble strip, never on purpose. I hit that, and uh, <laughs> and so, so she just pop up, wake up, you know, yell out, wake up. And I, I think, you know, those are three phrases that are really applicable for us as a church family. Are you awake? Wake up and stay awake. Here's how I want you to think about this. Jesus Christ died, rose again, and ascended to be with the Father, and he will someday come back. You know what that means? That that we don't have Christ with us. Got it? The Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, came to be with us so that we can know the mind of Christ, but the body of Christ will not be with us until he returns. And so what Christ has done is he's called us his body so that we might have the encouragement to wait for his return by encouraging each other as the body of Christ. So in the absence of Christ's body, we are the body, and we are to then encourage each other until he returns bodily for us. We need to encourage each other. So you think about these three phrases. Everybody in here needs somebody that will ask them the question, are you awake spiritually? Just engage and say, I want to know how you're doing really spiritually. How are things going? Are, are you okay spiritually? I want, to, I want to hear honestly, transparently what's going on in your spiritual life. Everybody in here needs somebody who will come to them occasionally and say, are you really awake because You give the impression that you're awake, but I want to make assumptions. I've seen far too many people give the impression they're awake, all the while they are nodding off and they get taken out by the enemy. And we need people who will step into our lives and say, are you awake? I hope you're sitting there right now saying, yeah, I need somebody like that in my life. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you not to respond completely and only with that statement. No, step one more step. Don't just say, I do need somebody like that. Take one more step and say, I will be somebody like that. And you find somebody, you ask them, how are you doing? Are you awake spiritually? Here's what's going to happen. You're going to bless their lives. You're going to be encouragement to them. We're going to function as the body of Christ. And I promise you, you ask that question of somebody, you will get asked that question back. And it'll be so encouraging because we all need that. We all need somebody in our lives saying, wake up. We're struggling. We're walking into sin. We need a brother or a sister come into our life and say, wake up to speak the truth in love, to say the things that need to be said, to rebuke and to confront us. We need somebody who can say that to us. And so I just encourage you. Ladies, have a couple ladies you've invited to be that to you. Men, have some men that you've invited to be that person for you. Just say, hey, look, if you see anything in my life that just crosses a boundary, you don't understand it, doesn't look like it squares spiritually with waiting on Jesus Christ, would you just come and just yell in my face, wake up? Wake up! need people like that. And we also need somebody to just walk alongside us saying, stay awake. Stay awake. Somebody will be there when we're struggling. Somebody will be there when we need it most. But here's the deal. There are times in our lives 
when we're really struggling and we don't let other people know it. And it makes it very hard for somebody to come in and say, I'm here with you. I'm not leaving your side. Stay with me. I just want to encourage you. If you need someone to come alongside you this morning and say, stay awake, would you just be willing to share with somebody that you need that? It's really hard for us to encourage one another and build each other up one-on-one if we're not making those kind of efforts towards each other. And it really starts with every single one of you making a decision to take a risk and be the body of Christ. Jesus is coming again. And I'm looking forward to that ultimate surprise party. But I also want to tell the world that's asleep. I want to do a good job functioning as a family of God, the body of Christ, knowing that's how we'll best wait. So this morning, as we go into our response time, I just want to encourage you to obey the Lord. There may be some here this morning who just need to get on your knees. You need to come to the altar and pray. You need to grab a friend. You need to just say, here's where I'm struggling. Here's what's going on. I need somebody to help me and pray with me. You need to be talking to the Lord about some area of your life you're not trusting in. You may need to go to somebody and say, I just want to ask you, are you awake? I want to be that person in your life. I need you to be that person in my life that says, wake up to me. I, I just want this response time to be this response to this challenge. Encourage each other. Jesus coming, wake up, stay awake, be sober, be ready, because he's coming. You don't know when. It's going to be a surprise. But if you're ready, it'll be the greatest surprise of your life. Get ready. Therefore, encourage each other. I know it's going to feel a little awkward. We get up and we walk somewhere and talk to somebody. But please, if the Lord is moving your heart to obey This command, encourage each other, do it this morning. Do it this week. Don't put it off. This is 